Hi everyone. I am Taylor. I'm the founder and lead investigator of Class A Paranormal Team. You probably know me by now. I think we're on episode seven of our podcasts. Um, so this this month we're talking about um, residual versus intelligent types of hauntings. I typically have a guest um, with me. You guys are pretty familiar with Sarah by now, Adventure Seeker Sarah, um, or one of my other team members, but we've got a lot going on this month with our halloween event that we're planning and our blogs and just got a lot going on in the background so we've got our members pretty busy um which kind of works out because i have just so much to say on the subject i could probably talk for hours just on my own about this so yeah so i'll be kind of touching on the difference between residual energy versus like an intelligent entity is how I would probably distinguish them um, and the theories behind how those things exist, why they exist, um, why there's a difference um, and how we kind of tackle those things when we're investigating how we distinguish between whether we're dealing with um, a residual type of haunting or an intelligent one and some of our strategies to figure that out and you know what we do once we once we have figured that out. Ideally, we're looking for an intelligent haunting. That is kind of the best case scenario because when you're dealing with an intelligent being, so so intelligent meaning that that you're dealing with an actual trapped soul, let's say, um, who can see you, see your surroundings, it can hear your questions, interact with you. That's really the main kind of features of an intelligent haunting is, is that interactive aspect um, because it they have consciousness, basically, let's say. So if we're dealing with that at an investigation, that means that there's more opportunity for us to capture evidence um, that's more compelling because we're getting an intelligent response. Let's say we say, you know, how did you die and you know what what year did you die it's much more useful for us and it you know makes us look a little, little better if we capture evidence that's compelling right and interesting so it's going to be better if we get an answer that's saying um you know 1804 and i died by hanging you know if we get that kind of voice coming through um, that is now a direct answer to our question that shows that there is not just a background sound that we are mistaking for you know something non-paranormal I mean it, it layers on that that level of you know proof that that we're dealing with something that has heard our question interpreted it and given us an answer and it clearly wasn't any you know one of our members talking so when you're dealing with an intelligent entity, you you can kind of count on them showing up when you prompt them. You know, you say, can you finish this knock? You know, and then you get do-do, that's intelligence. And um, yeah, that's really a bonus for us for dealing with that kind of a haunt. When you're dealing with residual energy, which is fairly common, I think. And I, if I had to guess, it's, it's a good portion of um, paranormal experiences. They're probably just experiencing a residual uh, type of energy, which I'll explain what that is in a minute. But 
if we encounter a residual haunting, we're not as likely to get evidence that's going to look super compelling to an outside party. We might, you know, know from experiencing it that there was some activity, but when you present it to someone, it's just not going to look very strong because it's just going to be, let's say I ask a question, you know, um, what year did you die? Instead of getting an intelligent answer, like we're having a conversation with a spirit, it's going to be like some footsteps or something, you know, so it's not going to be correlated because um, a residual entity is not intelligence, not interacting with me. I'm not interacting with it. Um, so it's really just a sound that's going off um, that just isn't mundane. It's not a, you know, part of our world. And so basically the difference would be a residual type of haunting is just supposed to be a leftover energetic residue, basically, that's been stained into the environment. Um, rather than like a lost soul, perhaps at one point it was sort of a lost soul or even like a, a living person, let's say, who had a moment in time that was just very impactful. Let's say um, you've got a person who's going through a loss of a pregnancy, a horrible moment in time filled with, you know, very sudden grief and terror and sadness um, in a bathroom, let's say, in a, in a building. And this person is living, obviously, going through this. That moment of emotional energy was just so powerful. Um, and the emotional shrapnel <laughs> that's released at a moment like that um, reverberated so powerfully that it kind of seeped into the surroundings meaning the wood in the foundation of the building, the stones, if it's made of limestones, maybe something more conductive or theoretically maybe can hold energy more, um, the metals, you know, all of the parts of the earth and the building around them, these types of things are absorbing this energetic material. And after this person passes, when they die, you know, let's say 30 years later, um, and then some new generations of people find themselves in this building, what they may experience is a residual haunting, what they perceive to be a haunting. When really what they're seeing is um, kind of like a time loop replaying, like something that's burned on a tape and it's replaying in the environment. And so maybe, what they might interpret is the sound of a woman crying in the bathroom. Now, this isn't presently a ghost crying in the bathroom. What's actually happening is that they're able to sort of get a glance into a different time in the past when this woman was crying when she was alive. Um, so that's sort of the difference. It's a little bit confusing. But basically, if they said, why are you crying? Can you stop crying? If they were paranormal investigators, you know, trying to prompt to find evidence. If it was a residual haunting, the crying wouldn't stop on command or the crying wouldn't 
um, you know, increase based on any sort of suggestion. There's no power of suggestion because it's not really a spirit crying right there. She's not actually there. You know, there's no soul or consciousness that is there in the bathtub, let's say. Um, it's really just that you're kind of time traveling a little bit. You're seeing through that veil um, a moment that happened in the past. So that's a residual haunting. Um, a better way maybe to m make it easier to distinguish would to maybe make it non-human. So a residual haunting would be um, cannonball fire on an old battleground. Um, obviously the cannons don't work anymore. There's no fuse or anything, but let's say at night there's claims every night at midnight, let's say people hear cannonball fire. That cannonball fire is paranormal in nature because it's not physically happening. Um, so it doesn't fit in with our current um, simpler perspectives of science and how things work, but it is a ghost cannon fire, basically, and it is kind of a haunted property. I would consider ghostly cannon fire to qualify properties being kind of haunted, you know? Um, people will interpret that as being paranormal, which they should, because it is, you know, but, it, but it's a cannonball fire. Like, there's no, it's not interactive. There's no spirit lighting the cannon, it's just, it's a residual sound. It was a sound that was so loud and powerful and potentially emotionally impactful because it's in battle. Maybe there's meaning attached to that cannonball fire. I don't know how, you know, deep these things go, but perhaps the whole setting and scenario contributes to what sticks and what doesn't. But, you know, that cannonball fire was just so impactful that it ingrained itself and it, and it turned into a little mini time loop in its little bubble, in its little area to repeat. And so that's a quality that we see in residual hauntings is that repetition. Um, we believe that maybe the reason for this is that something in our current environment triggers something um, that was maybe similar to what the environment was like when the thing originally happened. So let's say it's a cold, um, windy night around midnight when that cannon was set off in real life on the battleground and then a hundred years later anytime you have a cold and windy night right around midnight is when people are hearing the ghostly cannonball fire so we're looking for those types of patterns and repetition you know sometime around the same time every night or or at once a week or some sort of you know common duration common conditions, weather conditions, um, emotional conditions around it that might trigger um, the sound and it always being the same sound, like literally a tape recording. We call it the stone tape theory. Um, it's the theory that energy gets ingrained into the environment and gets replayed like, like a tape, you know, uh, on this like time loop. And um, so we look for those types of things on investigation for any kind of repetition, any kind of just like a lack of uniqueness, basically. If you're hearing a woman crying every couple nights and always in the bathtub, it's always crying, it's never laughing, there's never talking, there's never words, there's never answers, it's just always crying. And it's the same thing every day. 
then we start to wonder, okay, well, I mean, regular people don't do the same exact thing every day at the same time, or, you know, we, we change it up, we change up our behaviors, we're not predictable beings, and so neither are spirits, conscious spirits. And so when we start to see um, a lack of those types of behaviors and a lack of like uniqueness, we will start probably going towards our strategy for residual hauntings versus intelligent hauntings, because we'll understand that's probably what we're dealing with. And so we deal with those things a little bit differently than we would with intelligent hauntings. The difference being, you know, intelligent hauntings pose a little bit more danger to us, not like, you know, danger, danger, but um, because they're interactive, it means that we can potentially expect to be touched or have things moved around or, um, you know, just be more disturbed in some way to have them say something, like call our name or say something that's a little bit jarring. Those things are going to happen more with an intelligent haunting. Those things won't happen with a residual haunting, you know, so our expectations change a little bit as much as we try to keep pretty neutral expectations. Sometimes changing the strategy is, is um, a wise thing to kind of do to actually make things more scientific. So when we have a pretty good idea of what we're dealing with, whether it's intelligent or residual, we can use different types of equipment. We'll stop trying to ask for prompts, you know, because we know we're just not going to get prompts you know they're not going to answer to our suggestions we don't really have to ask questions we're not going to get answers we can actually just move more towards using equipment to actually detect the residual energy and try to see what that residual energy is made out of you know when dealing with a ghost versus like a time loop let's call it those are two very different things and we definitely want to study both of those things we study the paranormal we don't just study ghosts Paranormal is really anything outside of our current scientific understandings. I mean, theoretically, it could mean, you know, UFOs or <laughs> vampires or whatever, you know. But I would say we prioritize spirits and ghosts with consciousness and intelligence. And we prioritize, you know, residual types of energies like ghostly cannibal fire or ghostly gunshots or footsteps, those types of things that don't have intelligence, but we still really want to figure out um, what those imprints are made out of. Are they, are they imprinted with electromagnetic energy? Is that what's like, what is the residue? <laughs> what is it made out of? Is it electrical? Is it, you know, we want to measure it, quantify it, figure out what sets it off, what those triggers are. Is it uh, weather conditions, is it emotional conditions? All we really have to go off of is that the, the hypothesis of other paranormal groups and any patterns that we find, really everyone's just trying to follow patterns. That, that's all we have to go on to um, try to figure out what any of these entities or residues are made up of, how to measure them, how to design equipment that can measure them, how to bridge those gaps, you know, between this field and the current scientific and quantum fields, as you know, there's just a huge gap that no one will touch in those scientific fields um, because of the stigma attached to it, and, you know, and uh, their reputations and, and just a lack of resources. Um, generally, the scientific community doesn't want to put resources somewhere where they just aren't really 
feeling sure that they're going to discover something that's going to further humanity. They're not going to throw resources at something that they don't think is very likely. They kind of have to pick their battles and they're not going to pick the ghost battle. I can tell you that we, we know that well by now there's very little studies being done, you know, in terms of energy and stuff like that. It was getting better. Um, the government, I think, um, last year put in 4 million into, um, energy studies like, uh, Reiki and, um, um, a few other things, um, naturopathic kind of studies, uh, mainly to help the military and for PTSD and things like that. But 4 million is a start, you know? Um, so while we wait for progress on that end, really what we try to do on our end is to further our studies <laughs> with everything that we have. We obviously don't have government resources. But we have, um, well, we're lucky to have quite a bit of equipment. Um, Kyle, the uh, our tech leader, um, is kind of like crazy for equipment. He's uh, like a, an inventor. He's um, He works somewhere that allows him to have a lot of access to audio equipment and a lot of analog and digital equipment. And so we have tons of equipment um, and we're always testing it and troubleshooting it and trying to make sure that it works exactly the way that we think that it will work. That way we're using it properly. And um, yeah, so that's all we can do. We can kind of just throw equipment at things and make sure that we can create a controlled enough environment to deduce what kind of energy it is. And once we know what kind of energy it is, how to tackle it and what our best approach is to kind of create a net to try and gather evidence. So if we're dealing with an intelligent entity, it's going to be more like asking questions and trying to interact with it and trying to get it to make sounds and things that we are prompting it with trying to um, get it to show up on camera. Hey, in three, two, one, when we flash this camera, can you show yourself things like that? Those make sense for um, capturing evidence with an intelligent entity, you know, trying to get them to, collaborate with us and, and help us out, you know, because you can do that theoretically with an entity that has intelligence. Um, you can kind of ask for their help and uh, you can't do that with residual energy. So doing that type of stuff would be a waste of our time and we have very little time and very little resources. And so we switch it up and we start using our equipment and just going at it as if it's, you know, um, well, it's not going to help us out. So we just try to find it, measure it, detect it, uh, capture it in its in its own natural state. Try and trigger it. You know, we just learn whatever we can from from it, from observe, observing and and just trying to pursue it ourselves. So that's how we deal with these things on our own investigations. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have some of my own theories about residual and intelligent, you know, beings. I think the stone tape theory is a really interesting theory. It's kind of hard to, it's kind of abstract to me to think of like a time loop on, on like a, like a tape, you know, um, I don't know how that would work in the quantum world, how something literally stains itself into an environment, but I like, are there, is it going to stain itself onto something that's more conductive, like 
copper framing or buildings that have like, you know, metal frames more than wood frames gonna have more likelihood of like being haunted. Is that the reason why we kind of see correlation sometimes between limestone and, you know, energy and, ha and you know, haunting levels? Um, I think it's a very interesting theory. I We're just not there yet with how to, you know, really give it validity. Um, I do think in my experience in the seven years or so that I've done this, I've probably encountered, I believe I've encountered both types of energy um, and captured evidence of both types. I think um, we hear a lot of the usual, you know, you hear footsteps and you hear, um, you, you know, utensil clanking when there's no utensils, if you're in like an old restaurant, like those types of things are gonna be the types of residual energy, you know? Um, and I think I've encountered that, you know, just little background noise, like on stairs, you know, footsteps. Do I think that's intelligent that a ghost was walking by me? I don't know, probably not. I think that, that just those stairs had so much traffic for such a long time that maybe they just the sheer amount of steps going up and down them for a hundred years and, you know, a hundred year old house that maybe you can still kind of hear the echoes of that. You know, I'm not so quick to jump to something being like, there's a ghost right beside me, you know? But there have been times on investigations where, um, well, where we've had intelligent responses for sure, uh, where I've heard my name called, you know, right beside my ear, <laughs> um, where I believe I've been touched, um, times when I had dreams that were correlated to the investigation that I was on that were predictive of something that ended up happening later. Mm, you know, kind of attachments, those types of things um, would flag me as, as thinking that they're probably intelligent. And uh, it's exciting to think that I've maybe encountered, you know, a real um, displaced, you know, soul that's been standing next to me and I couldn't see it but you know I could interact with it still that's 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 the goal you know um what else can I say yeah with intelligent entities like we're just trying to learn from them as much as possible um so when we get people's you know trying to get us to come and investigate or we get messages this you know, my place is haunted. It's a little bit like extra exciting for us when the types of things they're describing do seem to be intelligent because that's an opportunity for us to ask the questions that we want to ask, um, especially more grand scale questions, more than just, you know, what's your name? When did you die? Those things are interesting, of course, to validate that specific spirit and that, you know, place's origin story. But um, the questions that I really want to ask and the questions that I really want answers to are like, you know, what does it look like where you are? Um, is, there, is there a light? Is there a heaven or hell? What was it like when you died? You know, what did that feel like? Um, I mean, there's just so many. I want to know about the afterlife on a greater scale for all of humanity. So I kind of... I kind of like 
doesn't make sense to me that the scientific community doesn't prioritize studying this kind of stuff, um, especially given the things that we know about quantum behavior, just basic, not to get super complicated, but, you know, simple things, even just like superposition, you know, um, just knowing that things on the micro world are not the same as the things in the in the macro world. The, the laws that we use here um, in physics, in the world around us, when you look at things on a tiny scale, those laws don't seem to apply properly. And so it suggests that we maybe don't have things quite right, you know? And so it, it I don't know, it just always surprises me that the scientific community doesn't think that these types of studies are important for the advancement of humanity because honestly if i found out for certain from a spirit let's say or maybe from my own near-death experience or something like that but i found if i found out in some way that there's proof and validity that there was some sort of afterlife or that my energy didn't end <laughs> completely just ceased to exist when i died um that would change everything about my life <laughs> Um, and I think it probably would for everyone too, probably in a lot of really crazy, scary ways, um, probably, you know, war and <laughs> there would be a really big commotion about that, but uh, probably in some really wonderful ways too, you know, to know that your loved ones, when they die, they're not just done, you know, that they get to move on and have like another life, you know? Um, I definitely think that that is something that I don't know if it advances humanity. It's hard to predict what would happen, but it's kind of our right to know that. And I don't know, it'd just be monumental to, to find that out. So whenever you're dealing with having an intelligent kind of haunting, um, I just see that as an opportunity to find life-changing information. If, you know, one day I get lucky enough to be dealing with a spirit that is um, just has the ability to project a lot of energy and give us, you know, some really clear answers and stuff and, and is, you know, a nice spirit and is willing to help us and, and uh, yeah, answer those questions. I mean, that's, that's the jackpot that we're all kind of looking for. And I believe that I've heard some really interesting responses, nothing that changes my worldview entirely, you know, but the afterlife as a whole, but um, well, even just getting intelligent responses kind of, um, leaves me to believe that there are spirits in the first place, which has changed personally my worldview. <laughs> um, I, I always, you know, I'm kind of straddling the middle there of skepticism and believing my brain is constantly trying to justify the things that I've heard and captured and experienced and you know just when I think I believe in ghosts my brain sort of goes well I don't know like has a really hard time fully believing which is good I think for this team because it keeps me pretty neutral but you know when you have these experiences and you hear those intelligent responses and something is just answering your questions and then you you start to really open up to the idea that there is maybe life after death I mean that life-changing and so if everyone could have that experience and have like full confirmation that there is life after death and even have information about 
what that life is like after death, you know, get some details from the people who are already there describing what they're seeing, what they're experiencing. You know, we have a, a little bit of that from people who've had near death experiences, but, um, well, that's hard to fully not, not to like discount them, but it's hard to trust those experiences because as we know, like the brain can do some crazy things in those, in those moments of death. Um, you know, you release a lot of chemicals and they create, you know, hallucinations and a lot of types of experiences like that. So it's hard to know if it's just your experience was more just the DMT <laughs> and all those hormones and stuff, or if it was a, you know, a real perception into uh, what, what you really did see and stuff. So it's a little bit different, I think, when you've got a spirit on the other side and they don't have the corporeal body that has those chemicals. They don't have DMT because they don't have a brain. <laughs> they don't have a body. And so I don't know, it's oddly enough, it's, it's easier to kind of trust a, a ghost than, than a, a, you know, a human that's gone through, you know, a scary experience, but it's hard to trust our, our physical body, you know, our brains play tricks on us and, um, and our eyes and just our perceptions. But I mean, when you've got someone without a body <laughs> describing without eyes, describing the things that they're seeing and things that they definitely did go through because they're for sure dead. <laughs> um, then that can really give us the type of information that we're looking for, I think. And, um, I don't know if other teams have captured that or not. I mean, when I think about it, I think of the ghost adventures episodes that I've seen or, you know, ghost hunters. And I think of some of the EVPs they've caught. Um, and of course I have no idea if those things are real or if they just put, you know, pre-recorded clips and they pretend they're EVPs. I have no idea, but if they are real, then I'm led to believe that, yeah, some of those EVPs have been captured because they've kind of asked questions like that about the afterlife and they've heard, you know, answers back about things like God. And um, I think they've gotten answers about like a, a light, um, hell, you know, there are those references, not necessarily to like those, the biblical hell or the biblical heaven, but maybe they mean those things in a non-denominational kind of way. Like there's a, good place and a unpleasant place and a purgatory type of place you know in between and I don't know it's just that we have no idea if those tv shows are real or not so I, I really am the type of person who can't believe anything that I see or hear unless um unless I experience it myself so that's why I started my own team because I just I just got to know. I just got to know for myself. I just I have to see it to believe it. I have to uh, know that things are being done properly. Even if those EVPs are real, they're not like staged, let's say, in those TV shows. I'm like not there. So I can't guarantee that they were captured in a scientific environment. You know, I can't guarantee that uh, that they've made a controlled environment, that the sound guy wasn't talking in the background and that's what they caught. You know, like I, I'm not... I have to be there and I have to be 
have to be behind every decision and, and micromanaging every aspect. That's just how my brain works. Cause then I know that it's being done properly. I know that the windows are shut. I know that we've checked the weather. So we know, you know, if it's raining, we know what any little, you know, trickling sounds are. I know that no one is speaking at that time because I have timed it and, you know, I've got eyes on everyone and I've got cameras on everyone. We've got mics in every corner and I like, you know, <laughs> so when we capture something, I know that it's valid. Um, and we definitely would never fake anything, you know, so, but I, I wouldn't necessarily jump to the conclusion that these shows are faking things. I think that that's a big accusation, but, you know, maybe they're just... They're not, you know, they're not like scientific teams, you know, <laughs> they're entertainment teams and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's hard to take those things seriously. So, you know, kind of, sometimes we take little cues from shows like that and then we test them out ourselves, you know, because like I said, we're all learning just based on patterns of other uh, investigators. That's the only way that we can really form our hypotheses and our theories, um, around like how to design equipment you know what kind of strategies to use just trying to figure out what spirits are made out of why they happen how they happen how to measure them those types of things that help us in our everyday investigating the only way that we can find those answers is because the scientific community isn't really helping us the only way we can do it is to um follow the patterns and suggestions of other teams who have had luck with certain things. Um, and we definitely do use the patterns and observations from like TV shows and stuff like ghost adventures, but we definitely take it with a grain of salt and we test it all ourselves to see if we have the same experience. So, you know, if Zach Bagans is using some piece of equipment that seems to capture a lot of evidence. It's like, we're not going to discount it. Maybe that is like a really, useful piece of equipment maybe he's on something and that whatever frequency that's functioning on is the frequency that spirits exist on and speak on and that's why it works we have to consider that as a possibility but we have to consider that it's also just <laughs> fake or uh, that he just hasn't created a controlled environment too so what we do instead is we just try and test those things out by, I mean, maybe trying to find that same piece of equipment, testing it out, or, you know, just critically thinking, you know, is this reasonable that this could work? You know, do things really work on a frequency like that? Like, is it even possible? And that's why we have people on our team with those types of backgrounds. We've got, you know, Bilal, he's uh, an electromagnetic engineer. We've got Tony, he's an electrician. We've got uh, Bouvan, he's a cognitive neuroscientist. We've got all these people from the scientific community um, that I've stolen away from the scientific community on, <laughs> onto our side. Um, because, I mean, these were things that they wanted to explore, but they were just so stigmatized on, you know, in their rigid kind of scientific communities in their day jobs. And um, they believed that there was, you know, bridges that needed to be built so they're doing this in their spare time and we're very lucky to have them you know so we've got a little bit of those resources we've got the knowledge to help us distinguish what's possible versus what's not even worth entertaining and trying to build our own patterns to further you know these theories and, and understandings of the world around us you know how some energy is just 
energy. It's just like slug slime that we leave behind. Kind of like Donnie Darko. Have you ever seen like Donnie Darko? Those energy sort of projections. That's more in, kind of into the future, but I think that we leave them, you know, from the past into the future. We leave an imprint here everywhere, you know, especially those like huge moments in our in our lives whether they're traumatic whether they're happy maybe maybe the residual energy is someone hysterically laughing you know at the same time every day in the same spot so maybe they had a really joyful moment that's still a haunting hauntings don't have to be creepy and you know melancholic and stuff you know um they can be happy moments excited terrified traumatic you know gunshot anything super loud those are my theories anyways that i think uh you know maybe create these types of the stone tape sort of effect happening um yeah just studying these types of things and trying to trying to figure out how they tick that's uh that's our whole job and i just find the subject so interesting like to me this is the fundamentals of ghost hunting because when you get anywhere like on site you're just you should immediately be trying to figure out, okay, we're gonna we're gonna figure out if this is intelligent or residual. Like that's just something that I consider in day-to-day -day life when we're investigating. Um, such an important subject. And I feel like oh, there's a lot of people that don't actually realize that there's a difference. There are tons of hauntings that are not really like ghosts. They're just that slug energy <laughs> that's just kind of stuck to the walls and left things and that we're actually seeing um a moment in time like replaying and like a little uh like a little projected film in front of us like a hologram which is super cool to me it's just as cool as a ghost i mean i'm really happy either way if we capture that on on camera there's a popular um paranormal video Again, I have no idea if it's real or not. I can't say for sure, but I mean, there I see so many like fake things that I feel like I've got a good, you know, judgment. And this one, it seems real to me. Um, I can't remember the details of it. Uh, I can try and look it up while I talk, but um, basically, a video um, that takes place in an old battlefield that someone takes. Um, pretty much, just an empty field. I believe there's like a cemetery nearby. And they catch pretty much like a row of soldiers. I'd say almost like four, maybe full formed, um, but misty, like kind of white human figures marching. You can actually see their legs and their hands, like marching in a straight line, all side by side, um, kind of, you know, further along in this field. And then they just kind of dissipate. But it's, I don't know, to me, that's like the best example of residual haunting, that video, because you can tell these like soldiers are looking like past them. Like the humans who are taking the video, there's no interaction. Like these soldiers are marching, you know, right in front of them in their own world. They're not looking at them, they're not turning their heads, can look right at them and not notice them, you know? Um, yeah, let me try and find that ghost marching battlefield let's say let's see if that works I can't be 
too sure in any of these thumbnails. So I won't say anything for sure, but you know, um, peruse YouTube, maybe I'll find it. But uh, yeah, it's like three or four. Um, it looks like spirits just marching in a straight line towards a camera person, but there's there's no interaction or locking eyes or anything. They're like doing you. They're just doing what they did every day. You can just tell. You know, you're just seeing a moment in time in the past. So yeah, I mean, that's sort of how we take these theories into our investigations. Um, always trying to explore more. If you know anything about residual or intelligent hauntings that I missed or you've had an experience, let us know. Super interesting subject and um, it really helps us strategize how to investigate the more we learn about it. So yeah, that's really helpful. Um, and I think that about wraps it up. You know, I'm on my own here, you know, <laughs> it's not a typical podcast, but, you know, hopefully I've uh, enlightened you a bit on a subject um, that I feel like isn't covered too much. We do have a blog on the subject on our website. Um, we Now we have a podcast on it. Um, yeah, it's something that I talk about a lot. So I hope you, hopefully you've learned something and um, I want to chat more with you guys in the comments. Let me know um yeah yeah so we had a great episode and um we'll see you guys next month we've got wow it's october already spooky season and we'll just do a little shameless plug we do have a halloween event happening october 22nd it's at the rough house that's in ottawa we're we're an ottawa-based team um, on Industrial Avenue. It's going to be amazing. There's going to be different circuits um, throughout the night for different kind of age groups with different activities. So there's an earlier one. It's more kid-friendly and then two later ones. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. We have a huge space, tons of cool decor. We've got face painting, seance, mini investigation, equipment demos, snacks, candy, all kinds of stuff. All right, so that's on our uh, social media. You can find it on our website. Um, and then, yeah, our next podcast will be October 29th. So we will see you then. Thanks for listening.